Good afternoon and welcome to this service of the Globe Church. My name is John T. I'm one of the leaders here. Um, and why don't we start by hearing some words um, from the book of Daniel. This is the God we worship. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. We come before a God not who's small, not who's weak, not who's in the dark, but a God of wisdom, a God of power, a God of light. Boy, do we need that in our world at this moment, don't we? There's so much around where there is confusion. We don't know the wise thing to do. There's so much that's dark. We're in the dark. We don't know what we should be doing. There's so much where we feel powerless. We need power. Well, here is the God of wisdom, power, and light. We've come to worship him. So why don't we bow our heads and let's pray that God would help us to worship him this afternoon as we turn to his word. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much that you're the God of wisdom, you're the God of power, you're the God of light. Lord, we need that. We need that in our world today. Lord, please open our eyes, help us to see. We're so sorry when we pursue our own wisdom. We're so sorry when we think that we have power. We're so sorry when we settle for little, tiny fragments of light that we find. Lord, we pray that we would lift our eyes, forgive us for our sin, Thank you for Jesus who died on a cross so that we can know you. And we pray this afternoon that we would taste of your wisdom, your power, and your light as we listen to your word, as we sing your praise. Lord, please meet with us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to hear God's word read, um, and then we'll look at it together before we then spend the rest of our service responding in song and prayer and discussion and thinking it through more. So let's hear God's word read. We're going to read from Romans chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, you could turn there and let's hear that read now. Um, hi, everyone. We've just had a uh, competitive game of Perudo. And uh, now we're going to read from Romans 13 verses 1 to 7. So let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? That do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to these authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe to them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. 
if honor, then honor. Great. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this afternoon that we have your word open in front of us. Father, thank you that this word is uh, your good word to us. Thank you the same spirit who inspired this word will now help us as we listen to it. Lord, please teach us, we pray. Um, please give us soft hearts and ready wills to obey, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last Sunday, you might remember we had 27 points in the sermon. Well, this week you'll be glad to know there are only two. And let me tell you right up front what those two points are. Um, the two points are um, submit to authority and pay your taxes. That seems to me to be what Paul is saying in Romans 13, verses 1 to 5, submit to authority. That's what he says in verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And he says it again in verse 5, it's necessary to submit to the authorities. And then in verses 6 to 7, he says, this is why you should pay your taxes. So that is very simple, submit to authority, pay your tax. And I sort of love this because this isn't um, some high level, make no difference in the real world type stuff. This is nitty gritty, ordinary, everyday life. This is stuff that we have to engage with all the time. But I also appreciate that it might not grab you as uh, a sermon to start with. It may not be quite the motivational uh, message that you were looking for this afternoon. Submit to authority and pay your taxes. Hard to get excited about that. But perhaps this afternoon we need God to give us a bigger vision. Perhaps we need to let God shape our thinking. Back in Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote about us being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. What about this afternoon if God, by his spirit, renewed our minds and transformed us in the way that we live in this world, particularly in how we view authority? I mean, what is your natural instinct when it comes to authority? I guess most of us fall into two sorts of camps, either rebellion or resignation. Uh, rebels call for the overthrow of authority. How dare you tell me what to do? We hate the idea of authority and, and we rebel against it. We see a rule and we just want to break it. A sign that says do not walk here, we want to walk there. There's a little bit of anarchy inside all of us. I mean, we, we may not be hardcore anarchists who are about to go and firebomb parliament, but beneath that respectable exterior there can be a little bit of anarchy lurking can't there do you see a bit of that oh government's so stupid i mean what, what on earth are they doing they don't have a clue and the way that we mock and the way that we reject authority there's a bit of anarchy in us rebellion or we might react with resignation we just accept it pay your tax keep the rules do what you're told we might not like it, but it's the right thing to do. So shut up, obey the speed limits, do the right thing, keep your head down, I don't want any trouble. We either shake our fists or we shrug our shoulders. We either fight or we give in. We either get angry or we get on with it. I wonder what your natural reaction to authority is. Rebellion or resignation? Well, I want us to see this afternoon that in the gospel there is something better. 
there is a radical vision for life. That there really is. Not rebellion, not resignation, but instead, worship. Revolutionary, radical worship. Now, of course, you might say to me, where on earth are you getting that from? Paul doesn't mention worship anywhere here. Well, you've got to remember the big context of Romans 12. Do you remember, in view of God's mercy, because of all that God has done for us in Christ, all the wonderful things that God has done, we now offer our bodies as living sacrifices to him. This is our true and proper worship. So to be a Christian means we now offer everything to God as an act of worship. The whole of our lives, a revolution has come about. And now we worship God. And in Romans uh, 12 to 16, Paul is outlining for us what does it mean practically to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And one of the things it means is submit to authority and pay your taxes. It's an act of worship to God. Now, if we can get our heads around that, that's going to slightly change our view, I think. But perhaps the problem is that we make the gospel too bland. It's too narrow. It's too flimsy. So we say, oh, yeah, Jesus came to forgive my sin, and now we should love one another a bit. And that's, that's great, but it's so much more than that. The gospel is about a revolution, Jesus' first words when he burst onto the scene in Mark's gospel, the first thing he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. They're not flimsy, bland words. They're the words of revolution. A kingdom has come near. When we talk of Jesus being Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah, it means king. Jesus came with a power, an authority, a rule, a kingdom. That's what we're involved in. This is revolution language. We need to understand that we belong to a new king. We've become part of a new kingdom. We have a new identity. Our old identity has been taken off. We were slaves to sin, but now we're set free. We were living under God's judgment, but now we've been forgiven. We were far off, but we've, now we've been adopted as God's sons and daughters. A new pattern of teaching has claimed our allegiance. That's what Romans 6 verse 17 says. A new pattern of teaching has claimed our allegiance. We have a new loyalty. And this kingdom lays claim to our hearts and to our lives. But it's not an earthly kingdom. The kingdom of Jesus is from above. So when Jesus stood before Pilate, who was the the Roman governor of the day, Jesus said to him, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, I would call on my followers to take up arms and to rebel. We'd be rebels. We'd be rebellious revolutionaries. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's not how we fight. We don't fight with swords. We don't fight by rebellion. No, my kingdom's from above, Jesus says. That's what we are part of. And fundamentally, we have to see that before we can understand how we relate to human authority. Are are you part of this? Have you experienced this new kingdom captivating your heart? Do you have this new allegiance? So we live in this world under human government, 
but our deepest allegiance lies with Christ. And so we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to now to God. And part of that is submitting to authority. So let's now look at these words with that background in our heads. And it's important for us to see that. Because only then will we understand this is revolutionary worship. So let's get into the text. Verse 1 says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, come on, that's hardly a statement that fills our souls with joy, right? I've never been into a Christian bookshop, and one of the posters on the wall has Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That's not a statement that goes on posters. I've never met a Christian who says, oh yeah, my favorite verse in the whole Bible is Romans 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. It, It just really speaks to me. It really moves me. Now, I've never met a Christian talk like that. But this is a command from God. It's an all-encompassing, beautiful, good command from God. So what are we supposed to do with it? Submit to authority. How do we do that? How can that be an act of true and proper worship? Now here's a slight warning. Here's what I think happens. As we go through this stuff, you are definitely going to find yourself thinking, yeah, but what about? What about this? Our minds will quickly go to the situations where we think, do I have to submit then? It's interesting how quickly we go to the exceptions when we're faced with God's commands. So do not steal. Yeah, but what about if my child is starving? Do not kill. Yeah, but what about if my life is in danger? Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. But what about if they're bad authorities? What about if I'm living in Nazi Germany? What about if the government tells me to stop preaching the gospel? What about, what about? And what happens is we begin to build a case against the commands of God built on the exceptions. Now that's the wrong way round. And so what we must do is take the principles that we read in the Bible and then work out what they look like in the messiness of life. That's what Paul is doing here. I think it's very striking that Paul doesn't caveat what he says. He doesn't tell us what about. He just says submit to human authority. Now that cannot be because Paul is so naive and just thinks all human authority is good. Paul is living in the Roman Empire. He's living under the rule of Rome. It's brutal. He's living at a time when there's so much oppression The authority of Caesar was seen as absolute. It was an authority built on power. In just a few years' time, Nero will become the emperor of Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome, and Nero will throw Christians to the lions. No, Paul's not naive, and yet Paul does not caveat it. He just says, let me tell you the principle. So I want to hold on to those what about questions. And after the service, we're going to have a Zoom meeting where we can discuss those and you can fire those and we can kick them around. But we've got to get the principle clear first. And this is the principle. Submit to authority. So why? Well, Paul says we should submit to authority because, verse 1, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Paul couldn't really be much clearer. He says all authority has been established by God. He says it twice. 
because he's so concerned that we might misunderstand. It's, it's so alien to our thinking, but this is what Paul wants us to know. God has established authority. Do you know, even if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you discover that built into the very fabric of our universe, there is a, a sense of authority and order and structure. Do you know who the first governor in the Bible was? It was the sun. God made the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. You see, authority is good. It's a good gift of God. It's not a necessary evil. It's a good gift. But the problem is that like so many of God's good gifts, that authority has been distorted and abused. So humanity has taken authority and used it to our own advantage. Our world is a story of authority that's been grabbed and established by power. The most powerful are the ones who rule. Whether that's military power, economic power, or political power, we take power and we fight. There's a power struggle and whoever comes out on top, they get the authority. So can I say, no wonder we resent authority. No wonder we moan about it. No wonder we're cynical and kick against it. Because we've seen authority abused over and over and over again. But we've got to lift our eyes. We've got to let God's word show us more. If that's all we can see, we will only ever be rebels against authority or resign ourselves and say, well, what's the point of even fighting? But we've got to lift our eyes beyond, beyond, beyond and and see the vision that we have in Romans 13. Here comes a bigger vision. This vision of authority paints things completely differently. All of human authority, all of human history sits under the mighty power of God. It's all under his control and that massively shifts our perspective. All authority comes from him. No one has ultimate authority. It derives from him. Let me give you an example of um, what a difference this might make. Think about a king, a bad king like Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar, who is the most powerful man of his day, the, the ruler of um, Babylon, he's just out for his own glory. He's vicious, destroys nations all around him. And even goes into Jerusalem and destroys the temple of God and takes the gold out and takes all the people and takes them off into exile. He looks out of control. He looks crazy. And one of the people who he takes from Jerusalem into Babylon is Daniel, a young man. Don't you think it would be easy for Daniel to be terrified by Nebuchadnezzar's authority? Don't you think it would be easy for, for Daniel to sort of feel like all the power lies with Nebuchadnezzar? But Daniel sees more. Listen to what he says. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. Do you hear it? Daniel can see past Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar has human authority, but Daniel can see past Nebuchadnezzar to the God who established him, who raised him up and one day will depose him. No, Nebuchadnezzar is not in charge because he's the strongest or the best. He's in charge because God established his authority. Now, I get that that raises all sorts of questions. What about, what about? We'll address some of those, but we've got to see the principle. We've got to see the ultimate and absolute authority of God. Or take Jesus. 
Jesus standing before Pilate. Here is Pilate representing all the power and authority of the Roman Empire. And Pilate says to Jesus, don't you realize I have power to set you free or to crucify you? And Jesus looks Pilate straight in the eye and says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. There it is. There's the revolutionary view of authority, the revolutionary worship. Do you see that Jesus does not rebel? He recognizes Pilate's authority. Even though Pilate knows nothing of God, Jesus doesn't rebel, but he also doesn't resign himself and shrug his shoulders and go, fine, do whatever you want, case sera, Instead, he says, you have authority, but your authority was given to you by God. And that, that is the understanding that Paul wants us to have in this world. And when you get that clear in your thinking, it is profound. We need to learn to look at human authority and to look it in the eye and say, you would have no authority were it not given you from God. It means we won't idolize authority. It means we won't fear authority. It means instead that we'll lift our eyes and trust God and submit to the authorities he's put in place. Now let me make this very clear. This does not mean that God approves of all the actions of human authorities. It does not mean that God is pleased with all human governments. It certainly doesn't mean that. But it does mean he's in control. So there are bad emperors and presidents who do foolish and evil things, but they are not a mistake. They're not out of control. They're not ultimate. And so Daniel can look Nebuchadnezzar in the eye and be unafraid. And that means, verse 2, that to rebel against any human authority is to rebel against God. This is why rebellion will always be wrong. Rebellion is never an option. The moment I reject human authority over me, I'm either saying, think about this, I'm either saying God got it wrong and chose a foolish person to be an authority, or I'm saying God has lost control and is not able to stop this person being an authority. I'm either saying God is foolish or God is weak. If I reject human authority, I am rejecting God. God is not weak and God is not foolish. Our security is that this is authority has been established by God. He is the absolute and the ultimate authority. And remember, it is his kingdom ultimately that we belong to. And so we learn to say, you have no authority over me other than that which was given to you from above. <laughs> and this is wonderfully subversive. Do you not think that Daniel must have been very unnerving to Nebuchadnezzar? Do you not think that Pilate was slightly freaked out by Jesus and by his sheer confidence? This humble, respectful, and yet deeply confident view of authority, pointing beyond to a greater authority. So even when authorities are bad, We look beyond them to the God who has all authority. And these authorities are God's servants. Interesting, as we go on through the passage, three times God calls them his servants. 
That's, that's what they are to him. Even the most powerful people in the world, they are just God's servants. And their job is to restrain evil and to do good. That's why he says in verse 3, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Authorities are put in place as God's servant to restrain wickedness and to commend what is good. Therefore, they should hold no terror for those who do what is good. So take, um, take a speed camera. Uh, so here's a speed camera. And we hate the speed camera because the speed camera stops me doing what I want to do. It's like an authority. And, and so I look at it and, and, and I hate it. But the speed camera holds no terror for those who obey the law. It only holds terror for those who want to speed and break the limit. But we focus our hatred on the speed camera, but that's a diversion. The problem isn't the camera. The problem's in here. The problem is that I'm a rebel at heart who wants to drive too fast. And this is why we find authority so difficult, because authority stops us doing what we want to do. So we kick against it and we rebel against it. But actually God says it's for your good that his authority is in place. Because the reality is that a society without any rule of law would be a terrifying place to live. We've all seen dystopian films where all rule of law has been destroyed. Linda and I watched a film last week uh, called Contagion. It's about a global pandemic. It was a dreadful choice of film to watch on our day off. Very stressful. But at one point, all rule of law is broken down and there's just anarchy. Everybody's looting the shops. It's complete chaos and it's terrifying. And you think, actually, it's a good thing that we live in a world and a society with authority and law and order. Those are good things. And therefore, we should willingly submit ourselves to those authorities that God has put in place. And verse 5 then is the summary. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment. So don't only obey because you might get in trouble. Obey because it's the right thing to do. Obey because you worship God. So obey as a spiritual act of worship, I offer my body to you. Here I am driving at 20 miles an hour. Lord, this is my spiritual act of worship to you as I submit myself to this authority. Do you see how we could change our view of authority? It means that rather than mocking and poking fun, it means that rather than laughing at our authorities and politicians, we, we could pray for them. And yeah, there'll be times when we disagree. And it's okay to disagree, but it's not okay to rebel. It's okay to campaign against. It's okay to seek change of government. It's okay to be involved in political parties and to, to fight for what is just and right and poor, but we do not rebel against the authorities. Because God has established that authority. And therefore we trust him. And when authorities command us or call us to do things that are wrong, we look beyond that authority to the God who established the authority in the first place because our allegiance rests with him. Our loyalty is to his kingdom. 
And so just as the apostles in the book of Acts, when they were told to stop preaching the gospel, they said, judge for yourself, is it right for us to obey God or to obey man? No, ultimately we obey God. And there will be times when we have to disobey authorities, but we do not rebel. We disobey without rebelling. We disobey in a respectful, honoring, humble way that places ourselves before God. Now, we've got to work those principles out in the workplace where you have a difficult boss, in government, as we think about parliament, how, as we think about how to engage in politics. We've got to work these things out with this principle. Submit to authority. God has established it. They are God's servants to do what is good, and therefore we honor and submit to them. So submit to authority. And the second um, point of the sermon, which is very short, is pay your taxes. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. I love how practical this is. We moan all the time about paying tax. Some of you aren't even paying tax yet. Don't worry, it will come. And we moan about it because it frustrates us and, oh, why do we have to pay taxes? But the point is, we've got to pay because they're things that need paying for. How else are there going to be hospitals and schools? How else are things going to be kept in order? How else are the police going to be paid for? We need to pay. And we need to pay, not rebel, not in a resigned way, fine, have my money. We need to pay as a spiritual act of worship. Here's my challenge as we finish. Imagine if we paid our taxes differently. So when we give money, and, and it's right to give money to the church and to serve God's work, we sort of understand that that's a spiritual act of worship, but what about our taxes? Could it be that actually paying our taxes is a spiritual act of worship? When Jesus um, was asked about taxes, they were trying to trap him and trying to trick him. They said, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They thought, well, if he says yes, he's going to become really unpopular. But Jesus gave this brilliant answer. He said, whose head is on this coin? And they said, Caesar. And they said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. This coin, it bears Caesar's image. Give it to, God, to Caesar. You bear God's image. So give your whole life to God. And that's what Paul is picking up on here. Yeah, give money to the authorities. Pay your taxes as a spiritual act of worship. Most of us don't even know how much tax we pay. It just kind of gets taken off. We go, fine, whatever. Find out how much you pay and pray. Father, as a spiritual act of worship, I offer this money to you. I pray for those who will use it. I pray it will be used wisely. I pray that it will be help the poor. And I, I pray that it will be used for good purposes. You see? A spiritual act of worship. And you give to everyone what you owe them, verse 7. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Get on and live. As a member of God's kingdom, submitting ourselves to authorities here. So let's not pursue rebellion. Let's also not pursue resignation. Let's pursue revolutionary worship, where we offer ourselves to God. And then we get on with submitting to authority and paying our taxes. 
Now, I want to suggest that we um, think more about this um, after the service. Um, Joe and Katia are going to lead us through time to, to chat a little bit more, to sing, to worship God, and to remember who he is. But let's pray that as our allegiance is given to him, we would then love this world in which he's placed us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this kingdom that we belong to. Thank you for this revolution. And we pray that you would help us to submit to those authorities that you have established, that we would pay our taxes, that we would be good citizens, because we know ultimately all authority comes from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.